The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 1 in our third study in the book of Romans, verses 1 through 7. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God which has been read in your hearing Abides forever, so by by his grace and mercy, may that word be preached for you. Please be seated. You know, I know there are some of you here. I've spoken about email recently, and some of you here, you've never known life without email. But I have. And I remember the 90s when I was introduced to it. And I remember how the uh, inventors and producers and distributors did something very smart. When you got an email, you would get a digital chime and then would come a message. This is, I don't don't think nobody does this anymore, but that's what they did back then. Um, You would hear a chime and then you would hear a message. Does anybody here happen to remember what that message was that you would hear? I mean, we did a movie on it. You have mail. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not, but there's a perhaps an urban legend out there of a lady who the neighbors got very concerned about because every day she uh, opens in her door and walks down the driveway and goes to the mailbox. And she's going about 30, 40 times a day. And um, so the neighbors just ask her, you know, what, what, what's going on? Are you OK? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. She said, I just, I just don't understand this. Uh, my husband bought me this computer, and it keeps telling me I have mail. But I go down there, and there's just nothing there whatsoever. Well, I don't know whether that's actually true or not that that happened. But I do know that uh, it was a great invention because you'd go to the email. Now, let me ask you something. When you went to the email, or with today, when you go to the email, what is the first thing that you look at? I know what it is. Who sent it? Who sent it? Then you can see where they were, when they sent it. You can see, um, of course, they send it to you, whom they sent it to. But you also can see what 
they're about to tell you because there's a little line that says subject, right? says subject right there. And you can read that and say, aha, this email is going to be about something. What is it going to be about? And that subject tells you. Well, that's why I've been trying to say to you, I really believe this, uh, 21st email is much more similar to the first century mail than 21st century mail is. It, uh, first century mail is set up pretty much like 21st century email. It starts off, the letters would always start off with, who's writing it? Where are they? When, when are they writing? And whom are they writing to? And then what are they about to say? They clue you in at the very top, at the very front. They'll clue you in into what they are about to say. Well, that's what this Pauline letter is all about. Romans. We've got the four Gospels telling us who Jesus is and what he did. We've got the book of Acts that tells us what Jesus continued to do through his church. Now we have the teaching of Christianity beginning with the epistles. And the very first one is Romans. Not because chronologically it was first, but because of the glorious content of this epistle. It is a content and Paul tells you what it's about right up front. So now, you and I, because of our time in these first seven verses, and I've asked you to be patient as we get the context set, we now know who is writing this Paul, a guy who was Saul previously, who was a religious terrorist, a Roman citizen, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, now a Christian, one who had actually been given the credentials of death warrants where he could go out and pursue Christians and destroy churches. Interestingly, now God's grace has come. So what does he do now? He evangelizes and people become Christian and he plants churches. That's what grace does. It's greater than sin and turns it all around. And that's the who is writing this, the Apostle Paul. And he says three things about himself. He says, I'm called to be a servant, a slave. This one who once was a slave to sin and self-righteousness has been set free by the grace of God, and now out of love, he is surrendered as a doulos, a bondservant, a slave to Jesus Christ as his Lord. And this Christ has called him to be an apostle, which, by the way, is very interesting because Paul doesn't meet the, meet the qualifications. Well, he meets one of the three qualifications. Harry, what are the qualifications? Well, if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, after the apostasy of Judas, Peter says we've got to replace him so let's take a look at who is to replace him and in Acts 1 he gives the three criteria number one he had to have been with us as the disciples the 12 of us number two he had to be a witness of the baptism and resurrection of Jesus and number three he had to be appointed as an apostle by Jesus well Paul himself tells you I'm the apostle untimely born and therefore um, I was I wasn't there to be with the twelve. I wasn't there to be with the twelve. But I was, and I wasn't there to be at the baptism or resurrection of Jesus. But the governing qualification he met, the risen Christ, saved him on the road to Damascus, met with him and taught him for three years in the wilderness and sent him as an apostle to the Gentiles. So I have been 
I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm called to be an apostle and I'm set apart for it. Now, please underline the gospel of God. Now, we know when he wrote it. It's in Acts 20, verses 1 through 3. He wrote it from, he, he wrote it in 57 or 58 AD in March of 57 or 58 AD. We know where he wrote it. He wrote it from Corinth, his second time at Corinth while he was there for three months at a, and the port city of Sincrea. He wrote it from there. So we know who, we know when, we know where. Our email has informed us up front and we're ready to dive into this thing now, but before we dive in, he says, let me go ahead and tell you what this is going to be about. It's going to be about the gospel of God. That's what it's going to be about. Now, please don't just run by that phrase. Gospel of God. Gospel. What, when we say gospel, what's another way to say gospel? Anybody, got, anybody want to say that? Go ahead. I know you know it. Good news, right? Well, why is it good news? Because it solves the problems of the bad news. What is the bad news? Three things. I'm a sinner. I'm under the judgment of God. And I can't save myself. And man-made religion can't save me. That's the bad news. Good news. God has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And his son has now done for us what we couldn't do. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we did not and must not and didn't want to die. And that is an atoning death and a perfect righteousness is what he provides for his people. So there is good news, good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's also called, Paul calls it, the gospel of God and for a reason. And we're about to learn the reason. The gospel of God. Now, can I go ahead and anticipate this with you? See, we believe the Bible is the word of God, inspired, inerrant, infallible. Every word in the Bible has been put there by God and even the order that they're put in. Even little bitty words, even little bitty prepositions. And this is what we call a genitive preposition. It's a preposition of ownership. Gospel of God. In other words, the gospel is owned by God. It is God's. It is, you could translate this God's gospel. It is the gospel of God. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, you know, Pastor, earlier you had said one of the great things about the book of Romans is it starts off telling us about the gospel of God. But when you get to Romans 15, Paul says, my gospel. And then uh, Paul says, I want to communicate to you my gospel. And I know you would say that the gospel, that you own the gospel, and you're right. There is a sense of ownership for those of us who have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The gospel message came. It said, you're a sinner. Repent and believe in Jesus and surrender to him. And we've done that. Thus, the gospel is ours in the sense that we are now Christ and we belong to him. But that is one of, that is a... Uh, an ownership of response. That's not what this is talking about. This is the gospel of God. God owns the gospel because he originates the gospel and he reveals the gospel. You wouldn't know the gospel without God revealing it. There wouldn't be a gospel if God had not established it. 
God owns the gospel. It is a when it, gospel of God. That is the gospel owned by God. Why? Because God originated it. God originated the communication of it. And God has given it to us. It's from him, to him, and for him. The Apostle Paul is going to get us to that when he gets us to Romans 11. After explaining the gospel for 11 chapters, when we get to Romans 11, he's going to say this. Oh God, who has become your counselor? For all is from you, through you, and to you. Everything is from him, through him, and to him. This is the gospel of God, which means, now would you jot down one other little thought? It is the gospel of God, which means it is a Trinitarian gospel. It is a gospel of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is a Trinitarian gospel. And this passage affirms that, clarifies that for us. When I was my family, whenever we would do a family vacation, which would be once a year, one of the things my wife would do um, with uh, usually my daughters is go out. One of the things we like to do on a family vacation is to get a a jigsaw puzzle and work it uh, during the family vacation. Therefore, I have become a self-acclaimed and self-affirmed and self-announced expert at jigsaw puzzles throughout the years of family vacations. May I give you the three keys? If I was to write a book on solving jigsaw problems, I would say there are three keys to help you solve. And if you do this, you can solve the jigsaw. You ready? Number one, find the You spread them all out. And what do you do first? Find the corner pieces, right? Put the corner pieces, find them. There's four of them. It'll be in there unless you bought a jigsaw puzzle from a flea market and then it won't be in there. But if you bought it and it's rightly put together, there will be four corner pieces. And that's number one. Find the corner pieces. Number two, find all the straight edged pieces so that you can go from the corners all the way down the sides, the bottom and the top, and you can frame it in. Number three, cheat. No, I'm sorry. Number three, take the box and look at the front picture so you get an idea of where you're going to go from here. You need some help there. And thankfully, they've got the picture for you at the box. Those are the three things. That's all I do when I do a jigsaw. Find the four corner pieces, get the straight edge pieces, frame it in, and then look at the picture and go to work and have some fun together with your family. Well, what we have before us are seven framing principles of the gospel of God that's given to us. I love the Apostle Paul because I can identify, not that I'm anywhere like him, but I can identify with him. Paul, as we have found and you will find, loves to write long sentences. I mean long sentences. 228 words in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And this is one of those long sentences. So we've got to kind of pick it apart and find out what Paul is actually saying in this well thought out, but what my teacher would have said, Harry, quit doing run-on sentences. Here's one of these run-on sentences, but I would just tell the teacher, this one's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so let's find out why it's been run-on the way it's been run-on. So we're going to get into it 
to try to understand it. And I'm going to give it to you. Now, relax. I know seven-point sermon. Oh, my goodness. He has a hard enough time with three points. So, I, But relax. I don't have to go into any depth because these are just framing. We're actually going to drill down on all seven of these over the next 16 chapters. So I, we don't have to cover it exhaustively right now. But we can get them laid out, the framing principles in front of us. What's the very first framing principle of the gospel of God? And that is its origin. How do you know the gospel of God? Take your Bibles and go with me to that passage that is in front of us. Revelation, I mean, Revelation, Romans chapter one and verse uh, Romans chapter one and verse two. Here is the gospel of God, which is the whole subject of this Letter from the apostle, from the apostle Paul, the gospel of God. And what's, here are some of the framing principles that he has crowded into that line called subject on this first uh, century letter, which is like our emails. He says this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. In other words, the, the gospel of God is not a philosophical proclamation of men. It is. It comes from God and was promised long before Jesus had his life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Long before uh, the life of, of the incarnate life, the atoning death, the triumphant resurrection, and the glorious ascension of Jesus... Long before that, the gospel had been promised in the Bible, the prophets. Pastor, how long? Hundreds of years, thousands of years, a couple of thousand years. All you have to do is go right back. The very first time the gospel is prophesied for us is in Genesis 3.15. The prophet that's writing it is Moses. And as he writes, as he writes this, uh, this book of Genesis, and then he'll follow it with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Genesis 3.15 says this, as God brings the curse upon the serpent, upon the earth, upon uh, Adam, upon Eve, he says this to Eve. Here's the curse that he brings before Eve, that brings before the serpent. He says this, here's the proto-euangelion. Here is the first gospel announcement, that the woman will have a seed. That's the anticipation of the virgin birth. There will be a woman who has a seed, and her seed will crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent will bruise his heel. There will be a passionate encounter in which the promised seed of the woman will win the victory over sin and Satan and the kingdom of darkness. There it is announced. You remember back during our Advent season? Do you remember when I was talking about Matthew and I made the point that in the opening chapters, Matthew takes pains to tell his Jewish audience that Jesus of Nazareth fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament and he identifies. Ten that Jesus fulfilled in the few in those very precious opening chapters in the book of Matthew. In other words, this work of Christ was prophesied, promised by God, and given to us through the prophecy of the Old Testament writers. So, what do we know? Number one, the gospel is not an invention of man-made religion. It is a message of divine origin and revelation. The gospel 
is God's because it comes from God and it's communicated by God through the prophets of the Old Testament. It is expounded in the New Testament, but it has already been promised and prophesied. You see it in types and shadows and prophecies time and time again. Uh, That whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they bear witness of me. When you go to Yom Kippur, that's pointing to my atoning day. When you go to the sacrificial offerings, that's pointing to me. When you go to the ark whereby God's chosen uh, family is saved, I am the ark that saves the people of God. When you go to the prophets, I am the prophet. When you go to the priest, I am the priest. When you go to the kings, I am the king. When you go to the offerings, I am the offering. When you go to all of these precepts, signs, symbols, types, promises, prophecies, all of it is yes and amen in me. Which is why after his ascension, his resurrection, on that day of his resurrection, he encounters two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're depressed. And how does he take slow hearts and turn them into burning hearts? You know, there's two kinds of heartburn, right? There's the kind you want to take a roll aid, and there's a, t- there's a kind that you love. This is the kind you love. They had a burning heart. Why? Here's what they said. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. That it's all pointing to him. Do you remember what Paul, in the last letter he writes, will say to Timothy? You, my son. Continue in what you have learned, knowing from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what Bible was Timothy raised with? What scriptures did he have? The Old Testament that was able to give him the wisdom that leads. Now, it's not as clear as the new. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. As Augustine said, the Old Testament is like a beautifully decorated living room where the, where the lights are dim. The New Testament cuts on the light so you can see the glories of it. That's what we have in the Bible. This glorious message of the redeeming work of Christ that begins for us in Genesis 3 and comes to its consummation in Revelation chapter 22. That's why Jesus says to his people that that the Bible is there to point to him. He is the fulfillment of it. So they, this this gospel message isn't, well, you know, Jesus came to Israel and they rejected him. i tell you what, let's put that plan on hold and we'll go to plan B. The gospel of God is not plan B. The gospel of God is plan, the only plan, the eternal plan, the plan from eternity, the plan that's revealed in the Bible. It is the plan that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God said to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is God's work of the gospel of God to all the world that's revealed in the word of God. 
Secondly, you not only have the origin of the gospel in God and communicated from God. Secondly, you've got the focus of the gospel, which is what? The son of God, Jesus Christ, having come in the flesh. Keep going with me in that passage. Follow along with me next, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Well, what what is this message in the Old Testament pointing to? Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you see what he's saying? What is the focus of the gospel? God's son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, Yahshua, Yahweh saves You shall call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. Jesus, title, Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, the priest, and the king, who is our Lord. Brothers and sisters, the people that are reading this, some of them are going to die because of that one word, kurios. Rome, Rome, And Roman citizens were required to say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians would only say, Jesus is Lord. Who is this Jesus? Revealed in the word. Comes into history. He is the one who, now watch, watch this. He humbles himself and then is exalted. Do you, do you remember that, our, our trip through the Apostles' Creed? How it presents Jesus in his humiliation, then his exaltation, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, descended, Hades, then his exaltation. On the third day, he arose. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will judge. Do you see that same humiliation and exaltation? Here is the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, whom the Bible points to and prophesies, first his humiliation. The Son of God becomes a man of the Jewish ethnicity. In the tribe of Judah, specifically, look what he says, very specific, son of David. He comes according to the flesh. He comes descended from David according to the flesh. In his humanity, he comes through that very family of David. Now, please hang with me here. Hang with me. Not only must Jesus be a man, according to the scriptures, because by a man, Adam, came death. By a man comes the resurrection of the dead. Not only does God say in his word, he's going to come through Abraham. He's going to be from the Jewish people. Not only does he say he's going to come from the tribe of Judah, but specifically, he's going to come from David. That's why when you get to Matthew, Matthew takes great pains to record the birth of Jesus around Joseph with the genealogy of Joseph to tell you Jesus legally is Jesus bar Yosef. He is the son of Joseph and a rightful heir 
Now, he's not by flesh the son of Joseph. He is by appointment that this Joseph is the adopted father. Then Luke tells us that Jesus is of David by the flesh because the virgin that gives birth is the virgin who conceived without marital intimacy. And she conceives. Therefore, when Jesus of Nazareth is born, he's got legal right as a son of David through Joseph. He's got David. Can I use our language? He's got David's DNA in his body. He is a descendant of David, according to the flesh. In fulfillment of the scripture. In fulfillment of the promises. The promises are pointing to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Son of God, having come in the flesh. Not just any flesh. Abraham, Judah, and specifically, he's got the DNA of David. And that is who he is. Then he is, now look at the language. He is declared the Son of God by the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead. He is declared the Son of God by the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead. That the resurrection is making two announcements from God. God the Father says, number one, this is my Son. Now please, again, don't miss it. This same God at baptism, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. At the cross, the wrath of God pours out upon this one who will cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because there the Son had become us and taken our sin upon him. And the wrath of God to the last drop is poured out upon him as he pays the eternal price of hell on the cross for all the sins of all of his people for all of eternity. On the third day, now the father again says, this is my son. His atoning death has won the victory. And I now raise him to tell the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the world, here is the one who has won the victory over sin, your sin, over death, your death, over hell. You don't go there over the grave. He'll bring you out of there because this one who died for you is my son and he is declared in glory and power. The Son of God through the resurrection accomplished by the Spirit of God. And there he is proclaimed, Jesus Christ, our Kurios, our Lord of glory. Well, that's the origin. That's the focus. The gospel of God. What is its, what is its effect? Well, look what he says. Three things are the effect. Here's what he says. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom this resurrected Christ, through whom we have received grace 
and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. We have received grace. We are saved by grace alone because of what Christ did for us. This is not what Jesus did plus what I do. This is what Jesus did for us. Harry, why? Because God loved you. You did not love God, but you needed him. He didn't need you, but he loved you. This gospel of God is a gospel of grace. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Even the faith. Not only is the ground of our salvation God's grace in Christ. Even the instrument that joins us to Christ, which is saving faith. Even that instrument is a gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. From beginning to end, we are trophies of grace. And when God saves you by grace, he sends you. We have an apostleship. Not the capital A apostle that Paul had. We've got a small A apostleship. Those who he saves, he sends to proclaim this message of grace throughout the world. So here are the effects. A saved people. And the sent people. And what do these sent people call people to do? The obedience of faith. You love that phrase? I love that phrase, the obedience of faith. What does he mean, the obedience of faith? May I suggest two things to you? Number one, when you believe in Jesus, that is an act of obedience. Faith, believe in Jesus, is not a suggestion. In a real sense, I know we call it an invitation, but it's not. It's a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when someone believes all because of grace, they now have obeyed what God has called them to do. And they do so because of God's grace at work within them. The obedience of believing. And what's the second thing? When you are saved by faith then obedience is the evidence of saving faith. If you've got true saving faith, you're not perfect, but you are changed. And obedience becomes the mark of saving faith in Christ. So what is the, what is the effect of this gospel of God revealed in the word through Christ? It is grace, salvation by grace, those saved are sent, and those sent have a glorious message that Jesus saves, so obey and come to Christ by faith, and then by faith follow the one who has saved you by his grace. Well, what, where do we take this? Where, if we're sent, where do we go? Look at what he says. He says this. Go back to your text. Here's what he says. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Where? All the nations. Abraham, the promise to Abraham is about to be fulfilled. All the nations are going to hear of this Redeemer. The promise of Abraham is about to be fulfilled. All the nations are to hear of the Redeemer. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. Paul is telling us the gospel of God goes to all the nations. That's where you're supposed to go. You are supposed to go to all the nations. Jew, Gentile, every nation, 
every category. Where do we spread the seed of the gospel over the entire field? And the field is the world. We take the gospel to Jew, to Gentile, to bond, to free, up and inners, down and outers, male, female. It does not matter. We indiscriminately take this gospel message to the gospel of God to the entire world and spread that seed of the gospel everywhere. Oh, my goodness. I've got an idea. Why don't we have a missions conference in two weeks? That's what we need to do, because we are supposed to take this gospel to all the nations, to every nation and every corner of the world, every demographic corner, every ethnic corner, every sociological corner. We are to take the gospel and spread that gospel out of the love of Christ to them. Now, here's the other. Why do we do this? What's the purpose for the sake of Christ? Don't you love that phrase? I do. For the sake of Christ. You have the gospel of God that saves you, that sends you, and that you search out others to hear it. Why? For Christ's sake. Well, pastor, I want to do it because people need the Lord. Yes, and you should. But how do you know people need the Lord? Jesus told you. That's how you know. You take it for the sake of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the prominence of Christ. The proclamation of Christ. You take the gospel of God for the glory of God. Folks, that's why may I ask you, join, let's join together for the sake of Christ to contend for the gospel and don't let it get adulterated in our age. Would you contend for the mission of the church, which is to take that gospel and make disciples with it? Why? For Christ's sake. Because we love everything that he loves. He loves the lost. We love the lost. He loves the gospel to go to the nations. We take the gospel to the nations. He loves the glory of grace. Then we love the glory of grace. We love this. We do this because we love him who first loved us. Sixthly, what is our relationship? Well, look at what he says next. He says this to you. He says... The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, which, by the way, should properly be translated y'all, including y'all who are called. Uh, Question, question. Do you love Romans 828? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Right. You love that? Are y'all awake? Am I, am I talking to myself? I mean, I don't know. Uh, do, you, do you love that verse? I do. Sovereign promise of God. Who's it given to? To those who love God. To those who are called. You're the called ones. That's your relationship. He called you. He called you externally. The Holy Spirit sent people to you with the gospel. He called you internally. He gave you eyes to see and ears to hear. He called you intentionally in all of the roles and relationships of life to do it for his sake. Harry, for my sake, love your wife. 
Harry, for my sake, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Harry, for my sake, be a faithful pastor. Harry, for my sake, be a Christian citizen in this nation. Harry, for my sake, I ask you, I call you, I command you. I not only called you externally when I sent people to you, I called you internally so that you could see and hear. And then I called you to take me into every arena of life. And then finally, I call you to be with my people. What is the name for the church? The ecclesia. Ek. Out. Kaleo. Called. We are the called out ones. We have been called out of sin to Christ. And we are the sunagoge. We are the called together ones in Christ. We have been called externally, called internally, called into all of the roles and responsibilities of life. We're the called ones. And we are his people. We are his own possession. We are called to him. We are called to out of sin to him. And we are called together in Jesus Christ. And finally, finally, what's the gospel of God's blessing? Let's finish it here. Including you who are called. Why? To belong. To Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, he now belongs to you. All I have is Christ. And Christ has my life. I miss uh, the unfettered opportunities we have to serve the Lord. So I'm constantly praying for the Lord to get us back to that ability to do any and all we're able to do, but unfettered. But one of them I miss so much is the visitor's dinner that Cindy and I do each month. I really miss that. And go around and ask, where are you from? What do you do? But can I tell you all something that happens a lot of times? I'll say to this guy, I say, and would you share with us who you are? And he said, oh, my name is Sam Smith. And, and um, oh, my name is Sam Smith. And uh, I said, okay. And he just talks and then goes to Sally Smith. And sometimes a Sally Smith will say this. Hi, I'm Sally Smith. I belong to him. Now, if this guy is not brain dead and has any sense, he'll speak back up and say, oh, wonderful. I belong to her. Now, unless he's just plain stupid. And he'll, he'll learn to, how to respond at that moment. Now, I know what I just said is not popular in our culture. I, I'm not dumb. But I still love it because I know what it means. She is saying, in God's grace, I trust him to protect me, to provide for me, to love me, to be there in the morning and at night. And when he leaves, I'll see him come back. I belong to him. And he's got enough sense to say, she doesn't compete with me. She completes me. I belong to her. I can't do this, humanly speaking, without her. And then you'll see parents say, oh, these children belong to us. We take responsibility. We love them. And even kids will say, oh, I belong to my dad and mom. They realize they love me. They care for me. 
They're not perfect, but they, my goodness, look at all that they've done for me. Those human relationships are glorious, but they are to be they are to be surrounded. They are to be surrounded by Christ. That you belong to Him. You belong to Him, and because you belong to Him, He belongs to you. You belong to Him who saves you, who keeps you, who sustains you, who will complete you. Who will bring you to glory. You belong to him who takes responsibility for you to save you before the father. I've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. We are his. And he is ours. So let me give you the takeaway. We'll close in prayer. The gospel of God is a Trinitarian gospel authored by the promises of God the Father, accomplished by the preeminence of God the Son, and applied by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Did you see the Trinity in this paragraph? God the Father promised this gospel. God the Father promised it From all eternity and reveals it in his word. God the Son has accomplished it and he is preeminent. He is the center, the sum, the substance, and the circumference of the Christian life. God the Holy Spirit who raised him up. You remember all three of them are there. The Father promises concerning his Son. And who was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by that same power, you were raised from death unto life so that you could come to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a Trinitarian gospel. Why? Because God is the owner of it. The triune God has accomplished it. The Father is the author. The Son has, has accomplished. The Spirit of God has applied it. The Father has authored it, and the one who has promised it has authored it. The one who has accomplished it is preeminent, and the one who applies it is powerful. And all of that is revealed to me from God himself in his word. How many times have I heard people say, and I know I've said this before, just bear with me. Have you ever read it? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I know why that was put together, and I know why it was put out there, and I understand it in terms of its purposes. But please, never say it. Well, Harry, what would I say? Glad you asked. God said it. That settles it. It's not settled because I believe it. It's settled because God said it. The question is, do you believe it? When you sang that a while ago, hallelujah, Christ is my life. He's all my life. He is my life. That he is yours and you are his. 
This gospel of God changed Augustine and through what he wrote a thousand years later, Martin Luther, and through what he wrote, John Calvin, through what he wrote, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. I can go on and on, but it wasn't the Romans epistle that did it. It was the content. And that subject has now been introduced to you and framed. It is the gospel of God that brings us to Christ and we are his And he is ours. We belong to him. Folks, we are living in a culture and in a world that is being torn apart because of identity crisis. People are making their identity their sin, their sexual sins, their ethnicities, their political identifications. And it will never work. But we can come to people and tell them of the one who identified with them to take their place on the cross. And when you come to him, you have eternal life forevermore in Jesus Christ. May I go back to one more song? No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. I belong to him. That's the message this world needs to hear from you and me. We ought not to just enjoy it. We are sent to proclaim it to this world and to all the nations. Let's get started this week. There's a news program, not sure which one it is. It always ends this way. Uh, We report, you decide. I didn't invent this. God has said it. I've just reported it. Now you decide about the glories of this gospel of God and salvation by grace through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time we could be together in your word. Would you speak, Holy Spirit, to our hearts and in our hearts, and then speak through our hearts, by our lips, to others. I just pray that you would come and minister now. There is no puzzle. You have solved it through Jesus. Thank you for framing this gospel of God for us. Oh, God, how I love this trip and journey we're going to make into its heights, its depths, its breadth, its length. But now I just simply thank you that this letter by the Holy Spirit from Paul written to us in time and history will tell us the gospel of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I pray that all here under my voice this day have come to this Savior. And then all who have will go and tell others about this Savior. We have a glorious message, a divine message, the gospel of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for it, and we declare it to the world. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.